0: As Craig mentioned, this is a very special week that's coming up. It's called Holy Week or Passion Week. And I think his encouragement to read through these these chapters uh, that we find in the scripture uh, from the time of Palm Sunday until the day of his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection, I think would be very, very profitable for each of us. So this morning, I want to look very briefly at one of the teachings Jesus brought us during this week, this Passion Week. This is a week that God gave. This is the week that we see John 3.16 ultimately fulfilled. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he had already given him. But this is the ultimate gift, the gift of handing Jesus basically over to death, and his own wrath against sin that you and I might have eternal life. Now, I'd like for us to think about a word this morning, and the word is reserve. Does everybody know what reserve means? Reserve means to hold back, to hold back for future use. The word reservoir comes from this. Okay, so if a man wants to run 100 kilometers... Chances are he will not start off sprinting using all his strength at the beginning. He will probably start off at a somewhat slower pace than his full sprint so he can complete the 100-kilometer run. He reserves his strength. A sower may go out to sow a field, but he knows that, you know, tomorrow it may rain and the next day, there may be a great wind. So if I use all my seed today and tomorrow it rains, then I don't have another chance. So maybe I'll use a third of my seed today. And then if it doesn't rain tomorrow, maybe I'll keep another third of my seed back. So if there's a big wind the next day, my seed won't be blown away. So he will reserve, he will reserve his seeds for a future need. And then we talk about, let's say there's a river that runs in and feeds this village. But once a year, this river dries up and the village finds it very tough to receive water. So what do they do? They, they build a dam and they build a lake. They create a reservoir. And then from this reservoir, when the droughts come and the sun shines, they're able to take water from the reservoir to feed the village through the summer. So the whole concept of reserve is something that you and I are all familiar with. Now, the text I'd like to speak to you from this morning is found in the 12th chapter of John, verses 20 through 28. And this dialogue takes place in John directly after Palm Sunday, after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And we don't know exactly where in the week it falls. It it certainly wasn't that day. It could have been the Monday or the Tuesday. It could have actually been Thursday. It could have been Friday, the day of his very betrayal, the day that he had dinner with his, last, with his disciples. It may have been that day. But it was certainly one day prior to Palm Sunday before he was turned over to Pilate and was sentenced and crucified. Okay, we're told in this reading that there were some Greeks that also went up to the festival to worship. And these Greeks went up to Philip and said, We, we wish to see Jesus. And we're told that Philip found Andrew, and Philip and Andrew went and told Jesus. And then Jesus replied, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified has come. Now he's mentioned this hour before, but the first time he mentions it's in the second chapter of John, when... Jesus and his disciples are at this wedding and they run short on wine. And the mother of Jesus comes to Jesus and says, "They have no wine." And Jesus says, he looks at her and he says, "What do you have to do with me? What do you want me to do? My hour has not yet come." That's the first time he refers to it in the book of John. But now in the 12th chapter of John, he says, "The hour has come." That hour I was talking about in John 2. It hadn't come. Today, this hour has come. And in John 17, he says, Father, the hour has come. This is the hour. This is the hour where Christ will be glorified. And then he says, Truly, truly. And when Jesus says, Truly, truly, he says, I really mean this. I really mean this. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It brings forth much fruit. And then he says, he who loves his life will lose it. And whosoever hates his life in this world will keep it into eternal life. And whosoever serves me will be with me where I am. And where I am, my servants will be. And he who serves me, my father will honor. And then it's like he thinks about what he just said, about that grain of wheat falling into the ground. And he says, now my soul is troubled. Very seldom do you hear Jesus talk about being troubled. He seems not to have troubles, but he says, now my soul is troubled. And then it's like he's talking to himself, Father, what should I say? Save me from this hour? It's like he rehearses the truth to himself. No, for this purpose I came into this hour. Father, glorify yourself. And then this, we're told that a voice came from heaven that said, I have glorified myself and I will glorify myself again. Okay. Okay. Let's think about that grain of wheat. This is, this is Jesus' teaching today. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Okay, what do we have if we have a grain of wheat? Well, we have something that's been created by God to do something, to produce, to yield fruit, to multiply. It is, it is, it is a produce of God's intellect, His will, his life. And if a grain of wheat just sits on a shelf, it's still a grain of wheat. It's still a product of something God made, but it, it's not realized. It does not attain its purpose. But the grain of wheat must be put in the ground. And, and Jesus is speaking about it. it must allow itself to be put in the ground. And what happens at this point? It decays, it sees death, the, its outer shell becomes corrupted. And then what happens? Then a life that God has already put in that grain of wheat shoots forth with new life. It it shoots forth with, with produce that people can feed off of. It also shoots forth with seeds that will spurn even further life. I like to look at the window in my house and there's a big sycamore tree in front of my house. And I think, oh, one little seed put in the ground plus God's will is produced produce this big, huge tree that no man can push over. And that tree has these branches that glorify God. And what Jesus is teaching is that unless we allow ourselves to be put to death, that we, like that seed, cannot bring forth new life. So what death is Jesus speaking of to you and me? He says, Whosoever loves his life will lose it. And whosoever hates his life in this world will attain unto everlasting life. Another gospel says, He who seeks to save his life will lose it. Whosoever loses his life will save it. But it's this whole idea that we must give up something to obtain something. So what life must you and I give up to attain the life that he wants us to have? It's the life of self. It's the life of self-love. It's the life of my interest in my universe. It's the life that draws its life from this world and the things of this world. The scriptures tell us do not love the world or the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, they are of this world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. He who loves this world, he who brings his life from this world, is like that seed that never throws himself into the ground and dies. And that person never, that person will never receive the life that God intended him to have. Now in the 14th chapter of Luke, there's a story, a parable about a, about a man who was a landowner. And he had a servant that worked for him who was dishonest. And he caught him in his dishonesty, and he was going to fire him. But we're told that the servant was very shrewd. And he thought, well, I I can't beg. I'm too proud to do that, and I don't have enough strength to work. So I know what I'll do. So he called his master's debtors to him, those who basically owed his master money, and said to the first, you know, how much do you owe my master? And he said, well, I owe him a hundred measures of oil. He said, well, write a bill for 50. And then he called the second one. He said, what do you owe my master? And he said, well, I owe him a hundred measures of wheat. He said, well, here, take, write this bill in, in for 50. And then it says that the master looked at his servant and he said, and, and, he, and he actually complimented his servant on his, his shrewdness. And then there's a most amazing verse. The scripture said that the men of this world, the the sons of this world are wiser in their day than the sons of the kingdom. The men of this world are wiser in their day than the sons of the kingdom. What do you think he meant by that? Does that mean that they're smarter, that they can figure things out? What he meant by that verse was that the men of this world will give themselves without reservation to that which is passing and temporal, that which they can never take with them, that which will ultimately fail. Men of this world without reservation give themselves to this world. They'll neglect their health. They'll neglect their families. They'll cheat. They'll withhold things that should be told. They'll do anything to inherit this world which is passing away. Yet the sons of the kingdom, you and I, dear brothers and sisters, who are sons and daughters of the king of the universe, (laughs) who have everything real and lasting to hold on to, it's with reservation, it's with reservation we give ourselves to the king. The men of this world give themselves to this world without reservation. If you want to see what without reservation is just go look in society, how men give themselves to this world. They give themselves to this world without reservation. But you want to know what reservation looks like? Unfortunately, look to the sons of the kingdom, and it's with reservation we give ourselves to the king. Now, we're going to look at this week of Holy Week. It's without reservation God gave his son. It's without reservation the son obeyed the father. And it's without reservation that the Son gave to us, holding back nothing. Now we talk about this idea of reservation because there is a lack of supply we have economists, right? Where there's a lack of supply you have economists, those who are trying to save things. But in heaven there'll be no economists because there's no lack of supply there. On earth we have efficiency experts. But where do you need efficiency? You need efficiency when you lack time and when you lack resources but in heaven there'll be no efficiency resources because there's no lack of time nor resources no economist no efficiency experts in heaven because there's all the supply in the world and there's no limit on time but what the scriptures are telling us is in our relationship with our father there are no resources and there is no limit if we by the grace of god will give ourselves to him without reservation, because you and I are like that grain of wheat. If we refused to be put in the earth, if we refused to die, then that life of Christ, that life that God has recreated you and I to have, will never spring forth through us, and it's that life that you and I were saved to experience, saved to express before this world. And Jesus said, now my soul is troubled. He himself had the same temptation. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's like he rehearsed the truth. No, for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify yourself. Okay, what are you and I reserving? What are you reserving today from God? Is it your work? Is it your education? Is it your schooling? Is it some habit? Is there anything you're reserving from God? Well, think about it. And why do you hold on to it? Why do I hold on to it? Well, we hold on to those things that we draw life from. We hold on to those things that give us security. We hold on to those things that encourage us. But brothers and sisters, everything in this world, there's nothing secure here. There's nothing that ultimately will fulfill. Nothing. So how do you and I let go of those things that we are reserving from God? How do we hold on from those things that, that keep our hands so full that we can't hold on to Him? Well, what you and I have to do is just be still for a moment. Reflect on how much God loves us. Reflect on how he controls the whole universe. How he knows your name. How he knows the number of hairs on your head. How he knows you the second you fall asleep. How he knows your first waking thought. How he knows every word on your lips before you speak it. Every thought in your mind before you think it. He's in complete control. He perfectly loves you. And then slowly you can start letting that kind of, that thing that you're clinging to, reserving, you can kind of let that go. When you and I allow the Lord to soak our minds with the fact that he is in complete control of everything, always in control, and he loves us totally and completely. You know, the, one of the biggest mistakes in life is thinking that we're in control. And what is all this idea about reserve about? That reserve is being in control. Being res- in control of this, being in control of that, being in control of this, being in control of that. Why? Because subconsciously we know things are not in control, but we just get out of control as we try to control that which is uncontrollable. But God is absolute control. He's in, the universe is his. Stars are his. He knows them by name, and he knows every one of our names. He's looked into every day of your life. He sees the day of your death. He knows the people who will be attending your funeral. Can we trust him? Can you trust yourself? You know, if you trust yourself, I promise you, it will be 100% failure, 100% of the time, over the long run. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but over the long run. But if you and I trust our Father, if you and I thrust ourselves, trust all our cares, our worries, into His hands and onto Him, it's 100% success, 100% of the time. Jesus talks about discipleship in Luke 16. He says, Whosoever does not hate his mother and his father, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, they can't be my disciples. And then he says, Whosoever does not take his cross daily cannot be my disciple. And then he says, Who does not, Whosoever will not forsake everything he has, cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say you can't be a Christian. He doesn't say we can't have a, a family. He doesn't say we can't have a good job. He can't, doesn't say that, that we can't start a church. He doesn't say that we can't give a million dollars away to an orphanage or a hospital. He doesn't say that we can't do a lot of good things. But what he says is, You can't be like me. You can't be like me. Because yes, my love for my father was so great that every other relationship in the whole world just seemed like hatred compared to the love that I had for my father. And yes, every day I have said no to myself and yes to my father. Jesus lived a life emptied saying yes to his father. And then, oh yes, I gave up everything. I gave up heaven. I gave up everything. And I'm ultimately going to go through hell without grace for you. So all he says is, you can't be like me unless you're willing to without reservation give your will to our Father. And that's it. Not my will, but thy will be done. So let's talk about without reservation this week of Easter. So Jesus' hour does come. It comes that Friday night in the garden. And Jesus does exactly what he says he doesn't want to do In John 12, where he says, no, 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 for this purpose I came to the world. Now you find Jesus perfectly man and also perfectly God, but he laid aside his deity. He never called upon his deity. He lived as a man. You see in Christ a will separate from his Father. It's not a sinful will. It's not a fallen will. It's not a broken will, but it's separate. And you see Jesus in the garden, next Friday night, saying, Father, I know. And when he says, I know, this is Jesus, through whom creation was made, who has the mind of God, who knows everything. He says, Father, I know that all things with you are possible. Now, if anybody knew that all things were possible, it would be Jesus, who was part of the Trinity, he said, I know that all things are possible with you. Father, will you take this cup from me? There's got to be another way. Will you take it? And you know what? Father looked at the sun. The Factor looked into eternity future. He saw Martin. He saw Angie. He saw John, Lona. And he looked back at the sun. He said, no. Now, if God said to me no, that would be enough. But the sun comes back a second time. A second time. He says, Father, please let this cup pass from me. And the father looks at the son. The father looks into eternity future. He says, John, he sees David, he sees Robin, he sees Lois. He looks back at the son. He says, no. God said to me, no, twice, that would be more than enough. He comes back a third time. He says, Father, and and we're told in Scripture by this time, he is is sweating drops of blood. I mean, everything in his system is crying out. This isn't just a, a theological plea. I mean, he is begging. The second person of the Trinity is begging the first person of the Trinity to let this go. the third time, and the father looks at the son, and the father looks into eternity future and sees each one of our faces this morning who are sitting here, and he looks back at the son and he says no. God gave his son without reservation. In fact, Paul tells us, if he who did not withhold his only son, how will he not freely give us all things in Christ. He would not even hold his, withhold his only son because he wanted to love you. He wanted to love me. He wanted to save you. He wanted to save me. He held nothing back. He showed us by example what love without reservation is. He did not reserve the requests of his son. He said no. Because he wanted to love you and I without reservation. And he wanted you and I to understand what it cost the Father that Friday night to say no. And then we're told that Jesus said, not my will, but thy will, Father, be done. A will that was independent of the, power of the Father, completely submitted to the will of the Father because it was his will to do the will of the Father. Because he said other places in the Scripture, my meat is to do the will of God. Jesus fed off doing the will of God. And if he had not obeyed it here, he, he drew his life from feeding off the Father. He drew his life from feeding off the will of God. And he had to say, yes, if this is your will, be it so. And he says also in that same gospel that the men may know that I love the Father, let's go. He wanted you and I to understand how much he loved the Father, that he is willing completely, without reservation, to submit his will to the Father, so you and I will know how much the Son loves the Father. There's a lot of love going on here. The Father is showing his love for you and me. The Son is showing his love for the Father. And then, what does the Son do? And why was it such a grievous thing for Jesus to grow through Calvary? What was, why was it so grievous? You read of Stephen, the martyr. He said, You know, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. You know, it was a worshipful experience. You see Peter and John beaten, and the other apostles beaten, and they rejoiced because they had the privilege to be beaten. You see Paul and Silas beaten, and they're singing because they had the privilege of being beaten. You see and read of believers of the first century who were used as candles in Nero's garden, and they would sing as they were being burned. How did that happen? Well, those people had something called grace. Grace. And grace is the thing that empowers you and I to do the will of God. The first time you and I encountered grace was the day we were saved. By grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not even of yourself. It's a gift of God. Your faith that allowed you to have salvation didn't come from you. It came from God by his grace. But then the rest, of the, life, the rest of our life is learning to live by the grace of God. And Jesus was born in grace. He had lived a grace-filled life. But now he's going to Calvary without grace. No grace. No grace. No God. Nothing to hold on to. And we see in the Gospels what man could do to him starting that night where they beat him, starting Friday morning where they flagellated him, and then man nailed him to the cross. But then we say in the sixth hour, which is 12 noon until 3, that a darkness came upon the face of the earth. The Scripture says, God says, I have pure eyes than to behold sin, eyes are so pure they cannot behold sin and God laid upon Christ on Calvary the iniquity of us all and then he judged Christ for sin and let me tell you how great the power and the anger and wrath of God is against sin it's equal to his love God's wrath against sin is equal to his love. His love for you and his love for me. And the reason his wrath is equal to his love is because sin is the very thing that keeps him from the objects of his love, which is you and me. Sin separates him from you and separates him from me. So equal to his love for us is his anger and his wrath against sin. And he took all that wrath equal to his love And he laid it upon the sun. That's why Jesus said, my soul is troubled. Because he knew exactly what he was going to bear. Exactly. So, we got a week ahead of us. A week to reflect on Easter. A week to reflect on his resurrection, his new life. But Jesus is calling each of us to be disciples. Not just Christians, but disciples. More than a Christian. A disciple. To be like him. And he says, Whosoever does not hate mother and father and brother and sister and son and daughter cannot be like me. Whosoever does not say no to himself and yes to my father's will every day cannot be like me. And whosoever does not forsake, let go of everything he's holding on, everything he's clinging to for life, cannot be like me. And his question to you and me can you follow me? Can you follow me? But the truth of the matter is, it, it sounds like a dreary ending, but no. Unless a grain of wheat falls on the ground, it just remains alone. But if it dies, if it, it, if it, it dies to all those things that it draws life from, it becomes something new. And we're not giving up anything by letting go. All we're giving up is the things we're holding on to that corrupt us, defile us, ultimately will break us. And when we give our will to him, when we say like Christ did, not my will, Father, but your will be done, whether that's in the business or in the embassy or in school or just an everyday walk in the family, What happens? New life comes up in us, but what is that life? That life is the life of Christ living in you, living in me. And each of us was saved and recreated so we could experience the life of Christ in us today. Now, if there's anybody here this morning who never has asked Christ to be their personal Savior... I want you to know that God so loved the world that without reservation he gave his son 2,000 years ago that if you will believe in him, your sins will be forgiven. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care if you've murdered somebody. I don't care if you've cheated on your wife. I don't care if you've stolen from your parents. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's nothing you can do to disqualify you from his forgiveness. And you might say, well, you know, I've lived a pretty good life. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I know God loves me. Let me tell you, you can't live, there's nothing you can do to commend yourself. Because God is completely holy. He must judge all sin. And every one of us was born in this world in sin, in trespasses and sin. We came to this world with the nature of Adam, flawed spiritual DNA. And all have sinned. Falling short of the glory of God, and God does and will judge sin. So he offers you today his free gift of forgiveness through Christ. And it's just as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for dying for my sins. Say that in your heart, and you will be saved. Now, what can we do this week to kind of rehearse All week long, you're going to be hearing about, you're going to be thinking about, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what Jesus said on the cross. But can we start saying that in our own lives? Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. You know, it's always better to do somebody else's will than your own. Even in your family this week, are you going to have a chance to say, Father, not my will, but thy will be done? Opportunity to defend yourself, not my will, Father, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to very briefly, just so we can meditate. Just want us to meditate on the prophecy of Isaiah and he basically was showing us he was telling us what Christ experienced on Calvary and I just like to think about these words and just you can close your eyes it doesn't matter but just just let's understand the price that he has purchased us with and he said if you want to be my disciples not my will, Father, but thy will be done. Isaiah 53, starting verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed at him, we looked at him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears, it remains silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death. That tells of him being put in Lazarus' grave. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. And he has put him to grief when he makes himself Christ. An offering for sin he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days and the lord will prosper in his hand we're talking now about the new fruit the new life that's going to become of this seed that allowed itself to be cast in the ground by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous he shall bear their iniquities he gives you and i a hundred percent score He gives us the pass. My righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That, brothers and sisters, is just a smite picture what our Savior did for us. He went through hell. The wrath of God without grace. That you and I never have to experience anything without grace. Everything is going to happen in your lifetime. Everything. You live long enough. You're going to see your children die. You live long enough. You see your spouse die. You're going to live long enough. You see your job go away. You're going to live long enough. You're going to see your strength fail. Everything is going to happen to each of us. And we can go through that like Cal- Christ went through Calvary without grace. Or we can go through those instances in life with grace, like Stephen went through his stoning. Full of grace. Full of grace. Full of life. And that's what he, he came to purchase you and I so we could have the abundance life, the abundance of grace that he had as a man on earth and that he wants you and I to have. We have the Holy Spirit to give us life. We have the Son at the right hand of God interceding for us, and we have the Father who's got us covered completely. And he's saying, just trust, just trust all that you know of yourself, all of your security. Look to me and me alone for your security. Brothers and sisters, to the, to the extent we look to anything other than Christ, we don't look to him. I have men come to me and say, Rick, talk to me about the, about the balanced life. How do I balance you know, being so heavenly-minded, I'm no earthly good, or so earthly good, I'm no heavenly-minded? Well, you know what's interesting thing? The only hurt person who has to talk about balance is the man who walks on top of a fence. That's the only person who has to talk about balance. If you fall on one side, it's not an issue. If you fall on the other side, it's not an issue. If you're on this side of the fence, if you and I have not let go, if we're like that grain of wheat sitting on a table, he's not using us. And you know what? If you and I are sitting on a fence trying to balance between the two, he's not using us either. The only way God can use us is if we fall over here. We become like a grain of wheat that dies, died our own self-love, our own interest, our own security, our own trying to order things and put it all in his hands. And then what happens? Then the life of Christ starts being produced in you and me, in our families, in our relationships, in our work, wherever we go. We don't have to change any of those things, but we show up in those places a leaf of new life the life of christ let me close this in prayer father thank you for this beautiful story that jesus told us but thank you father for the beautiful story that we have been recorded have recorded father thank you that you without reservation gave your son to us thank you without reservation he submitted his will to you thank you without reservation he cast himself into hell for us And thank you for without reservation, you offer your love and your forgiveness and your power and your strength and your new life to each of us in Christ. And I pray that you would give us each the grace to without reservation, without reservation, give our hearts to you, that you might without reservation, live your life through us, that our every thought may be of you, our every longing would be for you, that your will would be what our hearts desire, that our every word would be your praise, our every work would be to your glory, that we would desire you and your will above all else, that we would deny ourselves daily and say yes to your perfect will, and that we would abide in your will, Father, and in your embrace of us, that we would trust you, that we would love you with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul, all of our mind, reserving nothing back, and that we would abide in your love, and that your love and your joy, that your peace, that your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your meekness, your self-control, your very life, but flow through us in such a way that men may know that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us, and that you are living your life through us. And we make this prayer in the name of our Savior, who gave it all that we might have life.